Welcome, my name's Mark, and you don't know me here as yet, one of the leaders here at Lynn Baptist, uh, and today we're continuing our study in Philippians on the, the overall theme of discipleship. Uh, and with the break for last week uh, for the all-age service, this morning we're going to be looking at the whole of chapter 3, um, which covers two sections uh, in the Discipleship Explored series that we're looking at in the home groups too, uh, section 5, Righteousness in Christ, and section 6, Knowing Christ. Uh, but obviously due to the time available, uh, we're actually just going to focus more on the, the second section of the chapter uh, from verse 10 uh, onwards. Uh, so we can uh, read, read those verses now. Uh, so from uh, verse uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, and four to one. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take a view of things And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what you have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have as a model, sorry, just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as we have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Just by way of a very, very brief recap, Paul was writing this letter Uh, to the church at Philippi whilst he was actually incarcerated in a cold, dark, awful, joyless cell. Which makes it all the more remarkable that the whole theme throughout Philippians is of joy and rejoicing. However, one of the main primary reasons that um, Paul was writing this letter was to actually tackle the serious issue a false teaching that had become evident in the church at Philippi at that time. And in no-nonsense language, 
Paul sets about those who are reverting back to man-made religious practices. This is in the first section of the, the chapter. And basically, you just say, stop. Stop following and reverting back to this man-made practices. And Paul says, effectively, I've been there. I've got all the T-shirts. I was the defender of religion in chief. But then I met Jesus. I met Jesus face to face. And from that amazing life-transforming moment, I realized that all of my religious behavior was worthless. And that was Paul's summary. In verse 8 and 9, we read these words. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. I just wonder if James could just put the uh, first slide up there. So a very brief summary of the first nine verses. Paul is saying that Christ and Christ alone is our righteousness. Anything that we might try to do for ourselves is worthless garbage. Yeah, Christ and Christ alone is our righteousness. And uh, as I pondered on that, a line came uh, to, to mind. Of a, of a, a hymn. Sorry. Getting carried away with the... Uh, there seems to be a slight delay here. Okay. Yeah, as I just pondered those verses there, a line came to mind, but it's all good, so I just sort of put it all up there. Says, because the sinless Saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied. And this is a line that came to me when Paul is thinking of this issue of righteousness to look on him and pardon me. Behold him there, the risen Lamb, my perfect, spotless righteousness. I don't know about you. But I actually thank God that my relationship with him doesn't depend on my righteousness. I don't know where I would be if it did. (laughs) So I thank God that it doesn't depend on my righteousness, but instead on the fact that God looks on him and pardons me. That's amazing grace. That's wonderful. And so Paul moves on to, (laughs) yeah, Paul moves on to his next theme then in verses, the verses that we've read of knowing Christ. And it's that really that we're going to explore a bit of today. Uh, And as I thought of this, the Christian life is a journey. Uh, I've been listening to Lizzie and Jens before on their journey, just sharing some of their journey and where they are at the moment on that journey. But the whole of the Christian life is 
a journey. And all journeys, as we know, have a beginning and an end. And the beginning of the Christian journey has to be when we realise that the almighty creator God is indeed real. That's the starting point. And we recognise that in our natural sinful state, we're separated from him. And that the only way for that relationship to be restored is through believing and trusting in Jesus. In him alone. And trusting in the power of his death and resurrection to save us. That's the bottom line with this. I don't know about you, if any of you who go on walks, mountain walks, quite a lot of those walks begin with a gate, don't they? I don't know whether you've noticed that. Is any, I was gonna, I've, I've pressed one on there. I was going to see if anybody could guess where that gate was. But I, I pressed them once and far. There we go. Gone. It's back again. I didn't even touch anything then. Okay, I suspect some of you might even have walked through that gate. Anybody? Yep. It's called the Kissing Gate at Lingmill Gill in Scarfell. Okay. Who's walked through there? Anybody? Yep, yep, yep. Good for you hands, yep. Okay, as all you gate enthusiasts will know, um, the Kissing Gate isn't actually its name. The Kissing Gate is a type of gate that you'll be familiar with, I'm sure. And it's named because the outer part, or sorry, because the moving part kisses the outer part as it opens and closes. Okay, so it's a swinging gate that kisses the outer parts. And it's designed to enable you, obviously, to move through a barrier and set off on your journey. Here endeth the tenuous link with Valentine's Day as well. <laughs> it, it wasn't actually a challenge. Nobody challenged me to try and fit something in. It just occurred. On a... But there we go. So that's the kissing gate. Uh, but it reminded me of a beautiful song, you know, this did. One that some of you will know um, the words to here. Of when God actually moved down to kiss a guilty world in love. These words are, I always find beautiful here. On the mount of crucifixion, fountains open deep and wide. Through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast, a gracious tide. Grace and love, like mighty rivers, poured incessant from above. And heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. That was God's moving, like the kissing gate, down to earth to kiss a guilty world in love. In John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. So I guess before we can almost go any further exploring this theme, if you like, of knowing Christ, 
Can I actually ask you, have you actually met him? Have you met with Christ? Have you accepted his invitation to enter the gate and begin the journey of life? The fullness of life that God intended for you. If you haven't, and you actually believe that God is speaking to you today, can I urge you to respond today while the gate is open, while Jesus calls through the gate? Think on that as we go through, and then at the end of the service, there'll be people who would love to pray with you, to guide you and help you through the gate. And having met with Christ, we're then able to join with Paul in seeking to to know Christ. And what a privilege it is for us to be able to, uh, to say this today. Can we say this today? I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. That's how Paul starts these verses in verse 10. But he very quickly goes on to say, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And what does that mean? What might that mean? The power of his resurrection is a transition from death to life. From the old life to new life. Better still, to eternal life with Christ. And the question that came to my mind, do you, do I, do I feel like I'm living in the power of his resurrection? Do you feel like you're living in the power of his resurrection? One of my favorite accounts in the Bible is the story of Lazarus in John uh, John chapter 11, uh, verse 43. Um, I'm just going to read that to you in a moment. Uh, John chapter 11, verse 43. Uh, So this is when uh, when Lazarus has been dead. He'd been dead for four days. Jesus had been nowhere near. There was no way it could have been set up or anything. Uh, And Jesus was there with the with the sisters, Mary, Martha, as as they wept for Lazarus who had died. Uh, And Jesus went along. And in verse 43, he said, When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth round his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. For years, I sort of read that account of Lazarus and actually missed that bit at the end there. We get caught up sometimes in just like the main thrust, if you like, which was amazing, absolutely amazing, the resurrection of Lazarus there. But I actually missed those little verses at the end, uh, at the end of the account there. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. So whilst there was this great joy and wonder and amazement at the sight of Lazarus being raised and coming out of this tomb, he was initially still bound. Lazarus was initially still bound by 
the grave clothes. He was bound by these articles associated with death and with the old life. And what does Jesus say? Get rid of them. Release him and let him go. Let him go into this resurrection life. Let him go into this new life that I've raised him up to. Release him and let him go. Dare I ask the question of of you, of myself? Am I still bound by the old life? Is there anything today that we're bound up in, in the old life? Am I not experiencing the freedom and the release that Christ intended when Paul talks about the power of his resurrection? These things can be very simple things that hold us back, that bind us. Fear. But do you know the most common phrase throughout the Bible is fear not, do not fear, fear not. Guilt. Worry. Addiction. Inadequacy. In terms of guilt, in Romans chapter uh, 4, verse 7 and 8, says this, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed are those whose sin the Lord will never count against them. If you're feeling guilty today, be sure of one thing, God is not You need not be guilty with God. God has released you from guilt. And he will never count anything that you've done, anything that you've done against you today. Believe that word. Worry. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus Jesus tells the people, you know... Do you not look at the flowers? Do you not look at the birds? Do I not give them enough here? Why worry? Don't worry. Take your worries to the Lord. Lay your burdens at the foot of the cross. With addiction. If you're suffering any form of addiction today or you know people that are, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, says this. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Do you know, we sometimes have to ask and be bold if we want to be free from addictions. These are, can be awful things that can hold us down, can tie us down. Um, you know, I don't mind sharing with you that I struggled with addiction with cigarettes for over 15 years, really struggled, trying desperately wanted to stop and couldn't. If you've not experienced addiction, it's, it's a bit strange. When, when you hear people say dying for a cigarette, actually I know what they mean. Um, and it's really difficult. And I came to that point one day, I knew all the health issues, of course I did, I knew all the stuff to do with that. 
but addiction can so often be so much stronger than that. You know, it, it, it defies logic. Yeah, addiction defies logic uh, so much of the time. But that thought that this, I was dependent, and I got, <laughs> I just had to bring it to the Lord. I just brought it to the Lord one day and said, Lord, I've tried everything. I just need release. And he did. He did. One day at a time, I got that release. You know, so God can, God can get you away from these things that tie, that bind. Inadequacy, do we feel inadequacy at all? Uh, you know, in Philippians we read about how we've got such great uh, strength. Philippians verse 4, where we're actually reading from uh, today. Philippians verse 4. Sorry, Philippians chapter 4 verse 13 says, I can do all things, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And then at the bottom I put another one, just for you to think. What is it? Are there any things that are binding us in particular, that are holding us back? If you think through those and you want to pray through any of those things, any of these or anything that might be holding you back, again, please do come and pray, come and share with somebody at the end. At the beginning of his ministry here on earth, Jesus declared in Luke uh, chapter 4, verse 18, he said this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to prisoners, the recovery of sight to the blind, and to set the oppressed free. and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. So Jesus declared very, very early on in his ministry that he had actually come to bring about the freedom for captives, sight for the blind, and release for the oppressed. You know, and this is why Jesus came, and he wants us to come to him to seek this release, to seek this freedom. If you're struggling with anything and you want to seek release from anything that's holding you back, you know, we've already mentioned it this morning. We're a community here of God's people. We're here to support and to build one another, one another up. So we need to take that opportunity. The interesting story from the story of Lazarus is that actually Jesus didn't take the grave clothes away. He actually just asked the people around to remove and take away the, the grave clothes. Yeah. It was the community of people around Lazarus that actually helped him remove those bounds, those binds, the things that were binding. That's what Jesus wants us to do today. So after Paul, uh, Paul has said, I want to know Christ, I want to know the power of his resurrection, he then says, and I want to share in the sufferings of Christ. When we consider uh, 
the suffering that Paul had experienced and continued to experience. And last week when Phil shared with us about open doors, the suffering that Christians are experiencing day in uh, and day out throughout the world today, um, suffering is very, very much the appropriate word for what Paul and what many in the world are suffering today. But actually, as I thought about this, I, I thought, suffering, I can't quite relate to this word suffering in my life. Here in Lim, in 2016, the word suffering doesn't, doesn't sort of strike a chord. I can't quite think how we do that. So, just when you're sort of about to breathe a sigh of relief and think I'm going to pass over this, I'm not. I'm sorry. Because another word came to mind, actually, that of sacrificing. Because sacrificing and sacrifice is a word and a concept that if we choose to, here today, in Lim in 2016, we can relate to. But more than that, we can actually participate in sacrificing. And I just wondered whether that in 2016 here, if Paul was addressing the church of Lim Baptist Church today, whether or not he might have used the word sacrificing for us today. Sacrifice and real sacrifice is something to me that's not instinctively attractive. Does anybody like the sound and the thought of sacrifice? No? No, good. I'm glad to hear you're all (laughs) of a similar mind to me. But actually it's um, a subject that is potentially life-transforming. And it's one that we, we can't avoid and we need to give serious thought to. It may not be what we want to hear this morning, but sacrifice is actually a fundamental part of discipleship. Sacrifice is a fundamental part of discipleship. And if discipleship is about following Jesus and pursuing the teachings of the likes of Paul, then sacrificial living is actually a basic principle of discipleship for our lives today. Their lives, the lives of Paul and the early church and so many in the early church were marked by sacrifice. And of course, right at the very, very centre of our faith is the ultimate sacrifice. When Jesus, who knew no sin, took upon himself the sins of the world and gave his life that we might live. And that's the reason for doing it. That's the reason for living a sacrificial life. In simple response to his amazing love and grace. There's no other reason. Yeah? We want to sacrifice. We want to join and share in that with Christ. So what sacrifice? I just summarized it briefly for us today as giving that really costs. Of giving of ourselves extravagantly. 
What might that mean today to us? Time, talents, compassion, finances. Basically, whatever God has blessed you with, whatever God has blessed you with, the call of the disciple today is that we give so that it really counts, so that it really matters, and we give extravagantly. And the challenge that certainly came to my heart with this was, am I giving out of my spare, or is it really costing me? Am I giving out of my spare, or is it really costing me? And that's a real challenge for us today. But if we want to follow this life of discipleship, then we must go beyond giving from spare and giving so it counts and so it costs. And so as we press on from verse 13 and 14, we find Paul here. That's not a picture of Paul, by the way. But we find Paul not looking backwards, but straining towards. He calls straining towards and pressing on to this goal of being with Christ for eternity. That was the end point of Paul for his journey, the goal of being with Christ uh, for eternity. Now, just before we move on, I thought we'd just have a, a brief game of guess who. Okay, a bit of audience participation. Guess who? Okay, very easy one to start with. Anybody? Sorry? Elvis? Yeah? Okay, a little bit harder for some maybe. Anybody? Michael Jackson. And a last one, a very young. Barack Obama. Wonderful. Congratulations. You're all completely wrong. On every one of them. Why? They're all impersonators. Okay? None of, none of those pictures are of the real people that you all thought they were. They're all impersonators, all lookalikes. The Elvis one is remarkable, actually. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. All impersonators, yeah? So these people have all clearly, clearly spent a great deal of time and effort to study their heroes and have gone to great lengths to copy them. Quite unusually in the verses that we read before, in verse 17 of Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this, he says, join together in following my example, my brothers and sisters. Join together in following my example. So he effectively, you might think at first, you know, Paul's saying here, copy me, copy me, follow me, yeah? And you might think, What's he on about there? Is that not putting putting himself on a bit of a pedestal, potentially, uh, just saying these things? But actually put back into the context of of why he's writing here. Don't forget, Paul here is locked away. Paul here is locked away, and he's concerned that the church was getting drawn away from the true path of discipleship and being influenced either by false teachers or those around them who were not following Christ. So he was indeed saying, 
Don't follow these people. Don't follow these people who are trying to lead you astray. Copy me. Copy what you can remember of me. Copy why why I am where I am for the sake of Christ. And if you need a role model, copy me. And then he goes on even further to say, and take note of others who are following in the same pattern as me. Take note to follow other people who are in the same... In other words, he was saying, actually, look at one another. Look at these other people. So there are two lessons here for me. Firstly, it's no bad thing to identify and model our lives on other experienced Christians who you believe to be walking with Christ. Okay, it's quite a strange concept there, a little bit, but it's actually Paul here is encouraging people, he's encouraging us to model our lives on experienced Christians who are walking with Christ. The second part out of this was actually a real challenge particularly for those who've been on the journey for some time. And the challenge is, am I living a life such that if Paul were here today, he could say, imitate him, imitate her? It's a real challenge here for us, yeah? If Paul were here today, could he actually say of us, of you in this church here, imitate that person, imitate that person, Follow them. Wow. Wow. And that's a serious challenge because today we live in this world of celebrity. We live in a world of celebrity where there are actually so many bad role models around for people, particularly for young people, to follow. And there's a great need, a great need for followers of Christ to be known as his followers and to be known as positive Christ-like role models. There's a great need for that, probably greater than ever before. And I suppose the question to me, and maybe the question to you, is could that, or should that be you? Should we be these role models for Christ? And finally for today, Paul draws our attention to those that he described as enemies of the cross of Christ. Those who pertain to have a form of religion but who are actually focused on earthly things. There's a a character in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress who's called Muckrake. If any of you have come across it, this character called Muckrake, who's looking down all the time. He's moving around the rubbish around him. He's moving around the rubbish of the world and is so preoccupied that he never sees the messenger from heaven above him holding a crown. In verse 20 of Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, At the end of verse 19, he says, their mind is set on earthly things. But in verse 20, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a great reminder that we are citizens of heaven. 
No matter where our earthly journey takes us, our destination is secure and certain. That's a fantastic thing, isn't it? That no matter where our journey takes us, our ultimate destination is secure and certain. So the message from his word today and what Paul is saying here today is actually to look up. Look up. Don't expend all of your time and energy on the things of this world. Set your sights on the eternal destination and live as citizens of heaven. Look up. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9 says this. And it's actually, uh, when Paul is writing this, he's actually referring back to a prophecy from Isaiah. It says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And then he goes on to say, because this is now Paul talking in the New Testament here, but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. We do know, actually, we do know when, the, when that prophecy was written, remember, that was way back in, in the times of Isaiah. We actually do know, we have the book of Revelation that, that tells us so much about heaven. It tells us so much about our destination. And we have that promise of that certain and secure future in Christ in heaven. We don't know all the details of heaven, but actually when you think about it, it's so great that we couldn't comprehend it anyway. Even if we did, we couldn't comprehend it. But if Jesus is Lord of our lives today and we're journeying with him, we can truly rejoice that in knowing him, we also know our final eternal destination. Do you know that? Are you sure? Are you certain? Have you entered the gate right at the beginning? Are you on the journey? Have you started the journey? Have you met Christ? If not today, today's the day. Okay. If you haven't started that journey, Jesus is calling today and saying, come on, I'm here. Accept this message of love. Amen. May God bless his word to us today. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your incredible love. We thank you that you came down in the person of Jesus and kissed this guilty world in love and that you offer us forgiveness. You offer us fullness of life in Christ as you intended it. Lord, we praise you this morning. And I just pray now that if there's anybody who as yet hasn't taken that step of faith, Lord, would you challenge them this morning to accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour of their lives. Amen.